0: Okay, so the plan was that today we were going to resume our series in Ephesians that we've been working through, but then this last week didn't end up being the week I expected. Uh, Tuesday morning, I was in my uh, one-year Bible. I've got this Bible, maybe some of you others are doing that too, and it's, it's broken down into daily sections, so you get a, a portion from the Old Testament, a portion from the New Testament, Psalm, and some Proverbs, and I was in the middle of reading that when the urgent call came, and, and I left that and went out the door, and that's when I learned uh, that my dear friend and brother in Christ and elder uh, got to see Jesus before I did, and uh, that changed that day. And I didn't get back to my reading till the next morning. I have to tell you about this. Because I, I picked up right where I'd left off. And I read the very next verse. It was Psalm 90, verse 12, which says, Teach us the brevity of life, So that we may grow in wisdom. Isn't that something? I am amazed how God engineered it to have me be at that verse on that day. Teach us the brevity of life. Teach us how brief life is. So we can grow in wisdom. So we can be wise. Because when you understand that life is brief, you live differently. It changes your perspective when you realize that the future will be here before you expect it will be. And it makes you ask this question, what is the future that I'm expecting so that's what I want to talk about today. When I was a kid, I used to look forward to a lot of things. Used to look forward to, in the summer, going camping with my family and uh, riding my mini bike and fishing. Used to look forward to Christmas, birthday, you know, all that stuff. Then I, you know, got older and started looking forward to different things, like finishing school and uh, marrying my sweetheart. Starting a family and going to seminary and doing what I'm doing now. And then for you, maybe you're looking forward to vacation. Maybe you're looking forward to the next payday. Uh, maybe you're looking forward to retirement. Maybe spending time with a loved one. On and on and on it goes. Our lives are filled with looking forward to things. And it's, it's energizing, To have something really good to look forward to. Uh, Have you noticed that you can put up with almost anything if you know that something really good is coming afterward? Have you noticed that? But there's a problem. The things we look forward to in this life, they're good, but they're not good enough. They're not good enough to get us through the hardest times. And there's reasons for it. One of the reasons is that that the good things of this life are so uncertain. You might really be looking forward to something, but what if it doesn't happen? What if your true love never comes along? Or what if it turns out you can't have children? Or... Your dream house never gets built. What happens if the investment falls through? What happens if the medical treatment doesn't work? If something that you're really looking forward to doesn't happen, you're going to be disappointed. And worse, if you don't have something greater to look forward to, you're going to get discouraged. You're going to get maybe bitter. You might despair. Good things are very uncertain in this life. And good things are also temporary. Even the best things we experience, we look forward to them so much. You go on vacation, you couldn't wait. It's so great. And then it comes to an end. You got to go back to work, you got to go back to school. It's temporary. Payday, the paycheck, man, is that temporary? All the good things, every phase of life, you know, weekends, vacations, childhood, teenage, young adult, middle-aged, they're all temporary. They're all temporary. They don't last. And think about this. Even if every good thing that you're looking forward to in this life, even if everything you're hoping will happen, happens, eventually your list gets Shorter and shorter as you check those things off. And if you don't have something greater to look forward to, your later years in life can be very bleak. Very bleak. There is something we need to look forward to far more than the good things of this life. Not because there's anything wrong necessarily with those things, but life is short. And those things are uncertain, and they're temporary, and they don't ultimately satisfy our thirst for lasting joy. They can't. We need something greater, much greater, something lasting, something eternal. And God has given it to us. God offers us this amazing future and he wants us to receive it, and he wants us to look forward to it, and he wants us to anticipate it, because it'll change us. It will change us. So today we're going to look at the future that we have to look forward to if we belong to Jesus Christ by faith. If we receive this incredible gift he offers us, if so, what we're looking forward to You can call the great restoration, which means this a day is coming when everything that is wrong will be made right forever. Take a look with me at Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. The Apostle Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, And brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We're waiting. We're waiting. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for this great restoration. We're waiting for every wrong to be made right. And there's two parts to this. There's two parts to what's wrong. The first part is everything that's wrong with us, and that's substantial. No offense. Everything that's wrong with us, and the cure for what's wrong with us, is resurrection. What Paul here calls the redemption of our bodies. Resurrection is going to fix what's wrong with us. And for one thing, that means every physical defect, every ailment, every flaw, every disease, every injury is going to be made right. No more of that. No more disease. No more weakness. No more pain. If you're here today and you're in perfect physical condition, you can't really appreciate this, but you will someday and not only will resurrection fix our bodies it'll fix our minds and our hearts too look at Romans eight twenty nine. for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers God is going to see to it that those who belong to Jesus become like Jesus not only will our bodies be like his, our character will be like his too. Isn't that awesome to think about? Isn't that awesome? I don't know about you, but what I find even more frustrating than weakness in my body is weakness in my mind and my heart. You know, we, we all know. We all know those character defects we have. The temper problem. The pride problem, the selfishness problem, the lust problem, whatever. And so, those are the things that if you're a believer in Jesus, if you seek to trust Him and live out your life, then those are the things that you fight with every day. And one day, the fight will be over. No more fighting. Everything wrong with us made right. Oh man, I can't wait. And the other part that's wrong includes everything that's wrong with this world. Evil will be finished forever. Doesn't that sound amazing? Doesn't that sound oh heavenly? No more evil. Okay, but then please listen, because this is why you and I each need the forgiveness that only Jesus can give us. Because evil isn't just out there somewhere. Like the way we could fix evil is we just round up all the bad guys, you know, and and lock them up. It's not that simple. Because evil isn't just out there somewhere, it runs through every human heart. And God is going to have to put an end to evil wherever he finds it, if he's good. That means God must judge evil. And he will. But here is the incredibly awesome, unbelievably Amazing news, God made a way for his justice which must fall on evil. God made a way for his justice to fall on someone else so it wouldn't fall on us. Jesus experienced God's judgment for evil, our evil for us so we wouldn't have to. Look at John 3:16 through 18. Most people have heard John 3:16 Oh, they've seen it in the end zone and the cameras down there. But look at the rest. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him Whoever trusts in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe, whoever does not trust him, stands condemned, remains condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. If you don't rely on Jesus If you don't rely on him to pay for your sin, then you have to pay for it yourself. When God judges evil and finally puts an end to it, because justice will be done. And it will be done either on the cross of Jesus Christ, or it will be done in hell. And by how you respond to Jesus, you decide how justice will be done for you. You want Jesus to pay for it? You want God to consider it taken care of on the cross? Or you want to pay for it yourself? If you receive him, if you embrace him by faith, you receive his pardon that he offers you, he will forgive you right now. And one day he will transform you. But if you reject him, he will exclude you from his presence forever. That's justice. One way or another, every wrong will be made right. Every wrong will be made right. That's what these verses in Romans 8 are telling us. The curse that God placed on this world because of our sin will be lifted, and all creation will be made new, including us. Every wrong made right and This is the best part. This is what all this is leading toward. Then we will enjoy the presence of God forever. Look at Revelation chapter 21. The Apostle John sees a vision of this great day that's coming. And he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people And God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is what Jesus died to make happen. This is what He died to make happen every wrong made right, so that we can experience the very presence of God himself. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Notice, please notice, it doesn't say he died to bring us to heaven. It says he died to bring us to God. The presence of God. It's God's presence we need. It's God's presence we're longing for. Whether we realize it or not, we all want joy. We look for it in so many ways, and so many of them are so stupid, but we're all craving joy. We long for it. We thirst for it. Where is it? Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We want it. We thirst for it. We long for it. But in this life, we experience it so seldom. So, so we, just, we just get a little tastes of it. Just a little taste of joy. And it's so good, you know? Maybe it's a beautiful, sunny spring day when all the blossoms are going nuts and Hopefully your hay fever is under control. And it's just so beautiful, and you just get this taste of joy. Or you hear a a song, and it makes you want to get up and dance. Or your favorite person in the world embraces you and gives you a kiss. Or you catch a really, really big fish. (laughs) You just get this taste. We taste the joy, and it never lasts. It never lasts. And then, and then, sometimes we go through really hard experiences and they just suck the joy right out of our soul. Why is joy so hard to find? Why is it so fleeting? because we were made for God, and nothing else will satisfy. It won't. We want, we need, we long for the presence of God, and this world is disconnected from God. It's really important that you get this. It is. If you think that the whole point of becoming a Christian, of becoming a follower in Jesus putting your trust in him. If you think the point of that is being forgiven of your sins, you're missing it. Forgiveness is not the goal. God is the goal. Forgiveness is how Jesus gets us to the goal. Forgiveness is Jesus getting rid of the barrier between us and God so we can experience the joy of his presence. That's what Jesus died to give us. Don't settle for less. Now, I want to be very clear. If we've received Jesus into our lives, God is with us now. Because he comes to us in the person of his spirit. He comes to dwell within us. And that is so much better than not knowing him. But as great as that is, it's still just a taste of what's to come. In fact, verse 23, Paul calls it the first fruits of the spirit. It's the first fruits. It's just the first taste. The full harvest, the full banquet is still coming. It's not here yet. Uh, Until we are resurrected, until we are transformed, our experience of God is limited. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, Now we see, but a poor reflection is in a mirror. And you've got to remember what mirrors were like when Paul wrote this. It was just a polished piece of metal. It wasn't the, you know... That clear thing that we've got today says we we just we want God's presence, but it's like looking in a, a dull dark mirror. But then but then face to face face to face every wrong made right, the great restoration. Now, what does it do to you? What does it do for you if you really believe this? What what does it do if you actually look forward to this great restoration and you keep it in mind and you remind yourself and you remind one another of this? We remind each other. If we keep this in mind and we treasure it and we long for it, And we anticipate it. What will it do? To treasure it as a promise from someone who loves us more than we can possibly imagine. God gave us this promise for a reason. So we could know it. So we could treasure it. So we could hold on to it. What if we really expected this to happen? What if we anticipated this? What if we longed for this? What difference does it make if you really grab onto this and hold it? It's empowering. It's empowering. Believing God's promise to right every wrong will empower you. It will enable you to do things that you could not otherwise do. I'll mention two. You believe God's promise In the Great Restoration, to make right every wrong, and it enables you to keep your pain in perspective. It enables you to keep your pain in perspective. To be blunt, life hurts. Not all the time. Especially in this country where... We enjoy such freedom, so many good things. We have, most of us, food, all kinds of good stuff, good medical care, good living conditions. But, you know, even here in America, life can be incredibly painful at times. Because our world is broken by sin. I mean, you just stop and think about all of the suffering in our world, And we only know the parts that make it to the news. There's much more. You think about all the suffering, all all the agony in our world, just even in the last decade. The earthquakes, the tsunamis, the economic hardships, wars, terrorism, murders, rapes, child abuse, thefts, Countless injustices, small and large. And then think about all the lives that are just hurting because of disease, serious injuries. Think about the families who've been devastated by abuse or divorce or cruelty. Think about all of the people left behind when a loved one dies I'm not trying to be depressing here. I'm just trying to point out the obvious. Life in this world is very painful at times. It can really hurt. Because sooner or later, sooner or later, painful times come into everybody's life. Everybody. And times that just break your heart so badly, you don't think you will ever stop hurting. And that's when you need to know that every wrong will be made right. That's when you need to know that this promise is true for you. That's when you need to know it. Because if it's true, then that means your pain, no matter how bad it is, no matter how much it hurts, is temporary. It's always temporary, and it's nothing compared to what's coming. Verse 18, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That doesn't mean that pain doesn't hurt. Please don't ever tell anybody, oh, that's not so bad. Sure it is. It hurts. It's not saying it's, not, it's, it, it's nothing by experience. It's saying it's nothing by comparison. In other words, when all is said and done, and when every wrong is made right, the joy that we're going to experience will make all the pain that we have experienced look like nothing in comparison. Our, all of our pain and suffering is real and is awful. It's going to look like a little teaspoon compared to the Pacific Ocean. And it's not that that teaspoon wasn't bitter or excruciating but by comparison you can't compare it and that teaspoon is going to get swallowed up in an ocean of joy and we'll think wow that that stuff wasn't that's not even worth talking about that's hard to imagine right now but this is what keeps pain in perspective and this is powerful because when you're hurting when you're really hurting sometimes it feels like the pain is all there is It feels like that's all there is. But if you can see beyond it, if you can see that this is not going to last and that one day you are going to be happier than you can ever imagine. And see, that's still coming. You have have not even yet experienced your best days. I mean, maybe you're really elderly, and you're thinking, boy, you remember how great it was in my 20s or my 30s? Remember, I had a family, and everything was just so wonderful. Those were the good old days. The, that was my peak. It's all downhill from there. No. Yeah, it's it's pretty much downhill. But then, <laughs> <whew>! <laughs> You haven't yet experienced your best days. They're still coming. They're still coming. And when you know that, and when you believe that, it puts your pain in perspective. It doesn't make it go away. It just puts it in perspective. And that is powerful. The other thing it does, it enables you to turn your frustration into anticipation. Turn your frustration into anticipation. Do you ever find yourself getting frustrated with anything in this world? Ever? Does the fact that things don't work the way they should work, that justice isn't done maybe the way it should be, especially in some parts of the world, does the fact that sometimes people don't do what they should do, does that ever bother you at all? Of course it does. And what's our natural response? What's our natural response when we get frustrated with some imperfect thing or some imperfect person? What are we naturally inclined to do? To complain, to gripe, to bellyache, to lament that this world isn't a perfect place. Even if we only do it in our heads, our natural response is to frustration, is to complain. And it's not good. And we know it isn't. (laughs) Philippians 2.14 says, Do everything without complaining or arguing. Is there anything hard to understand about that verse? (laughs) What part of that verse don't you understand? What part of that verse don't I understand? This may be the most disobeyed verse in the Bible. (laughs) Do everything without complaining or arguing. Griping is natural. Griping is useless. It does nothing. In fact, it's worse than useless. You know why? Because it's contagious. You go into some place with a griping, complaining attitude, and it starts to spread, and everybody else starts griping too. That's why God says don't do it, because you can lead a whole group of people astray by a negative, complaining attitude. And pretty soon, instead of being focused on the Lord, instead of being focused on all the good things He's given us, instead of being focused on other people's needs, we're focused on our frustration and we gripe, and we complain, and we feel sorry for ourselves, and we cause problems. It's sin. Okay, but what do you do when you're really frustrated with things that are really frustrating? Okay, verses 24 and 25 gave us the answer. For in this hope we were saved, but... Hope that is seen is no hope at all for who hopes for what he already has. In other words, hope is for what you can't see yet, and we need to have that hope. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Hoping for we, what we don't have yet. Don't focus on what you can see. Focus on what you can't see. Turn your frustration into anticipation. Look forward to the future. Look forward to the day when God is going to right every wrong. And every flaw will be fixed. And every hurt will be healed. And every injustice will be judged. Nobody gets away with anything. Nothing is swept under the rug. No matter how bad, no matter how frustrating things get in this life, it's never the end of the story ever Now, please don't misunderstand what I just said, cuz some people might hear this and misunderstand and think, "Oh, well, this is a call to disconnect from the world and just sit around and dream and wait for God to fix everything." No. This is not a call to ignore the problems of the world, to be indifferent, "Oh, I don't care. I wait for God to fix stuff. So I don't care about your suffering, I don't care about injustice." Sooner or later, God will make right every wrong, so it is. let it go away. I'm just not going to worry about it. No, 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 no. That's not living by faith. The love of Christ compels us to make things better when we can, when it's within our power to do so. What I'm talking about here is an attitude. I'm talking about a spirit of joyful expectation instead of a spirit of angry frustration. Too many Christians are angry. Too many Christians are angry about how messed up this world is and all these terrible things that these people are doing. Yeah, it's messed up because it's disconnected from God and people are lost and they need Jesus and they, they need us to share the love and truth of Christ and not be mad. Yes, this world's frustrating. And yes, we should make things better when we can, but we need an attitude of anticipation because there are going to be things that we can't fix no matter how hard we try. And we need to know, we need to believe that they will be fixed when Jesus comes again. We need to know that. And see, if we're really looking forward to that, it'll change, it'll change us. It's going to make a difference in our attitudes. It's going to make a difference in our actions. It's going to make a difference in our emotions. It's going to make a difference in how we live, if we really believe this. I mean, think about it. Why did God bother to tell us this? Why did God bother to tell us this, that one day he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes, and he's going to transform our bodies And he's going to get rid of evil once and for all. And he's going to dwell with us. Why did he tell us that? So we could hear that and go, oh yeah, okay, that's nice. No. No. He told us that so we could grab onto that promise the way a drowning man grabs onto a life raft. And we go, yes, I need this. I got this, this gives me hope. I can handle the hurts, I can handle the frustration because I know something's coming and it's great. So what pain do you need to have put in perspective today? What frustration do you need to turn into anticipation today? Whatever it is, you hold it up to the light of this promise and let God change your perspective, change your attitude. Let this promise of the great restoration, a new new body, a new heart, a new mind, a new heaven, a new earth, No suffering, no tears, no dying, no fear, but a future of endless joy in the presence of God himself. Let that promise empower you today. Ask God to help you hold on to this promise and to believe it. And not just today, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day when you find yourself looking forward to something really cool in this life, that's good. But don't let that be the main thing you're looking forward to. Because it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. Ask God to help you hold on to his promise for our future. And it, his life is brief. And we need to be wise. And when we know that, we understand that, we believe that it'll change how we think, it'll change how we feel, it'll change how we live. Let's do that. Let's ask God right now to help us with this. I just have to give the invitation because if you are here today and you have not yet said yes to Jesus and his incredible pardon, and you've not said, yes, God, please let your justice be done on the cross of Christ for me because I don't want to pay for it myself and I want what I'm longing for without even realizing I've been longing for it. I, I need your presence. And you ask Jesus today to give that to you and he will. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. His name, the Lord, is Jesus. Call on him. And ask him, say, I am sorry, I need you, I'm messed up. If I wait till I'm better, I'll never come. So you come, Lord, and change me. Forgive me and give me the hope of this future transformation to come. Do that. Father, we ask you right now to take this promise and just drill it into our hearts and minds because we are so prone to forget it and we are so prone to get frustrated, and we are so prone to just get swallowed up in our pain, help us hold on to this and use it to change us and comfort us. Comfort us when we're hurting. Give us that anticipation of being with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.